Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums specially curated to accompany your weekly Come Follow Me studies. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. It's a joy to be here at Brigham Young University, especially at this time of the year of Thanksgiving. And I'm hoping that, as you know, this is a very special place of learning. While you're here at Brigham Young University, you're learning and preparing for your future to support yourself spiritually and temporally, to establish a means for providing for your families, and to use your time, talents, and other resources to serve the Lord, to lift and strengthen His children. I've pondered many subjects to teach uh, during this devotional and have been impressed to talk about the importance of temple preparation and the eternal perspective during our mortal probation here on Earth. The temple endowment blessings are as essential for each of us as was our baptism. For this reason, we are to prepare ourselves that we may be clean to enter the temple of God. Temple work is an opportunity to perform our personal endowments and covenants for the living and also perform these same ordinances for the redemption for the dead. It is for this reason we are instructed in the scriptures to build temples and prepare our lives to be worthy to partake of the sacred temple ordinances and covenants. We've been taught in the scriptures that the personal worthiness required of us by the Lord to enter the temple and to take upon us the sacred covenants therein is one of the greatest blessings available to us in mortality. Then, after taking upon us the covenants in the temple, our obedience in living the covenants daily is a demonstration of our faith, love, devotion, and spiritual commitment to honor our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, and prepares us to live with them in the eternities. The temple-saving ordinances are essential, even the central focus of the eternal plan of happiness. Today I want to discuss the doctrine of the temple, the effects of the temple doctrine in your life and mine, and the ways that we can prepare ourselves, and hopefully your eternal companions can prepare themselves to partake of the full blessings of the holy temple in mortality and eternal life. The temple doctrine is something we need to acquire a testimony and a reverent feeling of the temple being the house of the Lord. The temple is truly a place where you are in the world and not of the world. When you are troubled, when you have crucial decisions that weigh heavily on your mind and soul, you can take your cares to the temple and receive spiritual guidance. To preserve the sanctity of the temple in order that the temple may be kept pure and to invite the Spirit to bless those who enter the holy temple for their ordinances and covenants, we are taught that no unclean thing should enter the temple. 
Reverence in the temple is a vital element in inviting the Spirit to reside within the temple every hour of every day. When I was a boy, my father brought me from Long Island, New York, to walk on the Salt Lake Temple grounds in Salt Lake City to touch the temple. And we discussed the importance of the temple in my life. It was on that occasion that I made up my mind that someday I would return to enter the temple and receive the ordinances of the temple. When you are dating the relationship and it's getting serious and you're contemplating marriage, going to the temple's grounds is a great place for a date with your future eternal companion to discuss your plans together. It is very important to know the heart and mind of your future eternal companion's desire to be worthy to go to the temple and always keep their temple covenants enduring to the end. The temple is a sacred edifice, a holy place, where essential saving ceremonies and ordinances are performed to prepare us for exaltation. It is important that we gain a sure knowledge that our preparation to enter the Holy House and participation in these ceremonies and covenants is one of the most significant events we will experience in our mortal lives. Throughout history, in every dispensation of time, the Lord has commanded prophets that temples should be built so that His people could receive temple ordinances. The Bible records that while Moses and the Israelite people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, they were blessed with a portable temple or tabernacle where sacred ordinance work was performed, and on occasion the Lord came to converse with Moses. When Moses reached the Promised Land, a tabernacle was used to bring these blessings to the children of Israel. King David began preparations for building a temple, but because King David had been disobedient, he was told that he was not worthy and would not be permitted to build the temple. His son Solomon completed a beautiful temple in Jerusalem when he became the Israelite king. During Christ's ministry, another temple in Jerusalem was being built. In the Book of Mormon, around 588 B.C., we learn, And I, Nephi, did build a temple, and did construct it after the manner of the Temple of Solomon, save it were not built of so many precious things for they, they were not to be found upon the land. But the manner of the construction was like unto the temple of Solomon, and the workmanship thereof was exceedingly fine. Jacob, in about 544 B.C., records, Wherefore I, Jacob, gave unto them these words, as I taught them in the temple, having first ordained or obtained mine Aaron from the Lord. Over 400 years later, in 124 B.C., Mosiah proclaimed unto all the people who were in the land of Zarahemla that thereby they might gather themselves together to go up to the temple to hear the words of his father, King Benjamin, who wanted to speak unto them. In the second chapter of Mosiah, King Benjamin addressed his people who had gathered at the temple 
and gave his testimony in mighty spiritual discourse that changed the hearts of the people to worship the Lord. About 150 years later, in 34 AD, the resurrected Lord appeared at the temple as recorded in 3 Nephi. A great multitude gathered together of the people of Nephi round about the temple, which was in the land bountiful. They heard a voice saying unto them, Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I have glorified my name, hear ye him. And it came to pass, as they stood, they cast their eyes up again towards heaven. And behold, they saw a man descending out of heaven, and he was clothed in a white robe. And he came down and stood in the midst of them, and the eyes of the whole multitude were turned upon him, and they durst not open their mouths, even one to another, and wist not what it meant. For they thought it was an angel that had appeared unto them. And it came to pass that he stretched forth his hand and spake unto the people, saying, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, whom the prophets testified shall come into the world. And behold, I am the light and life of the world, and I have drunk out of that bitter cup which the Father hath given me, and have glorified the Father in taking upon me the sins of the world in which I have suffered the will of the Father in all things from the beginning. The Prophet Joseph Smith said, The Church is not fully organized in its proper order and cannot be until the temple is completed, where places will be provided for the administration of the ordinances of the priesthood. Joseph Smith also said, if a man gets the fullness of the priesthood of God, he has to get it in the same way that Jesus Christ obtained it, and that was by keeping all of the commandments and obeying all of the ordinances of the house of the Lord. Joseph Smith, as a result of prayer, was visited by Jesus in Kirkland Temple. The Kirkland Temple, the first temple in these latter days, as recorded in the Doctrine and Covenants, Section 110, on a very special date, April 3, 1836, played an important role in the restoration of priesthood keys. The Savior introduced by His Father, our Father in Heaven, appeared in glory and accepted the Kirkland Temple as His house. On that occasion, Moses, Elias, and Elijah each appeared to commit their keys held from their dispensations. Elijah restored the keys of his dispensation as promised by Malachi so that we could enjoy the blessings of the temple in our lives. The, Nav the Nauvoo Temple was the first temple to perform endowments and ceilings, which proved a great strength to the pioneers as they endured the hardships crossing the plains to Zion to the Salt Lake Valley. Many of our relatives, our former grandfathers, great-grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers, had that opportunity. When Joseph was, ta was taken to Carthage, it was clear 
why the completion of the temple meant so much to the Prophet. He knew what was going to be required of the saints, and that in order to be able to have the strength to endure what was ahead of them, they had to be endowed with power, the power of the priesthood. He looked across the Mississippi River and then to the west and said he did not know if he wanted to tell the saints what was ahead of them. He said, go to and finish the temple, and God will fill it with power, and you will then receive more knowledge concerning this priesthood. Sarah Rich, the wife of Charles C. Witch, wrote in her journal how important the temple endowment was to help endure the hardships on the pioneer trek. If it had not been for the knowledge and the blessings they received in the Nauvoo Temple, she said, the journey west would have been such a giant leap into the dark that she would have felt she was walking into the jaws of death. Our pioneer ancestors were sealed together as families in Nauvoo in 56 days. Over 100 endowments were performed each day. 5,600 in all. Their covenants with the Lord and the Nauvoo Temple were a protection for them during this journey westward, as it is for each of us today and throughout our lives. The ordinances and covenants of the Temple are the protection for us in our trials and tribulations in our day and for what we will face in the future. It is our heritage. It is who we are. For these early saints, this participation in the ordinance of the temple was essential to their testimonies as they faced the hardships, the angry mobs, being driven from comfortable homes in Nauvoo, and the long and difficult journey ahead. They had been endowed with power in the holy temple. Husband and wife were sealed to one another, Children were sealed to their parents. Many lost family members to death along the way. But they knew that it wasn't the end for them, that they had been sealed in the temple for time and for all eternity. Upon reaching the Salt Lake Valley, Brigham Young embarked on building the Lord's house. The construction took 40 years before the temple was dedicated in 1892. Today, President Hinckley, our prophet, has been moved upon by the Lord to build temples throughout the world. There are now 132 functioning temples, allowing faithful members of the Church in many nations around the world to go to the house of the Lord to receive their temple ordinances and covenants with the Lord in His house. The temple ordinances, endowment, and sealing Temples are the greatest university of learning known to man, giving us knowledge and wisdom about the creation of the world, washings and anointings to tell us who we are, endowment instructions give guidance as how we should conduct our lives here in mortality. We are taught in the scriptures that the temples are a place of instruction for all those who are called to the work of the ministry that they may be perfected in their understanding in all things pertaining to the kingdom of God on earth. 
The primary purpose of temples is to provide the ordinances necessary for our exaltation in the celestial kingdom. Temple ordinances guide us to our Savior and give us the blessings which come to us through the Atonement of Jesus Christ. The ordinance of the endowment means gift, consisting of a series of instructions on how we should live and, and the covenants we must make to live righteously by following our Savior. Another important ordinance is being sealed for eternity in celestial marriage. This covenant allows children to be sealed to their parents and children born in the covenant to become part of an eternal family. The doctrine and covenants teaches us, and verily, verily, I say unto you, that whatsoever you seal on earth shall be sealed in heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth in my name and by my word, saith the Lord, it shall eternally be bound in heaven. And, who, and whosoever sins you remit on earth shall be remitted eternally in heavens, and whatsoever sins you retain on earth shall be retained in heaven. As a sealer in the temple, with a couple kneeling at the altar, I am aware of my role as a representative of the Lord at the altar, and what is sealed on earth is literally sealed in heaven never to be broken if those who are sealed remain faithful and endure to the end. The mirrors on the opposite walls in the temple ceiling room are cantered to create the visual image of endless images. Looking into these mirrors on one side of the room represents the eternities of time that we have traveled to come to earth. Then the ceiling room is like one image representing our mortal probation here on earth. As we turn to the opposite side of the room, we look into the endless images going off into the attorneys after we leave this frail existence on earth. The lesson to be learned from this is the temple experience that we make the right choices to come to earth and to experience mortality and that how we live our life in this brief period of mortality will determine how we will live all the eternities to come. Just think of it again, all of the images on this side of the room. The room where we will be sealed and kneel at an altar, representing mortality, and then all of the eternities of which we will go. Now the real question. How do we make sure we never break eternal covenants made in the temple? Knowing the existence of temples in many dispensations, as we have just learned, as recorded in the scriptures, and the necessity of temple ordinances and covenants required into the celestial kingdom, I have often pondered why one who has taken upon themselves the sacred ordinances and covenants of the temple and has covenanted with their eternal companion, literally in the presence of God, angels, and witnesses, as they are sealed for time and eternity in the temple, why would they ever allow themselves to be unfaithful, thus breaking their covenants and in turn breaking the hearts of their companions and children who are desirous for an eternal family? 
I have also observed over the years couples who have been able to maintain strong and vital marriages as they remain true to the covenants and they take, they take upon themselves in the temple. For those who are not now married, as you prepare for a temple marriage, there is great value <coughs> in thinking about what makes a good marriage and the kind of person who will be able to make and keep temple covenants. That is why successful couples have been able to date and learn to know one another and to know where the heart of that future companion will be for time and for all eternity. First, these couples know who they are, a son and daughter of God. They set eternal goals to once again live with our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. They strive to leave the ways of the natural man behind. Second, they know the doctrine and importance of saving temple ordinances and temple covenants, of their necessity to achieve eternal goals. Third, they choose to obtain eternal blessings of the kingdom of God rather than the temporal or temporary possessions of the world. Fourth, couples realize that when they are sealed for time and all eternity, they have chosen an eternal companion. Their courting days are over. They never have to look at another son or daughter of God. Fifth, couples think of one another before self. Selfishness suffocates spiritual senses. Remember that. Selfishness suffocates spiritual senses. Communicating with the Lord in prayer, they grow together and not apart. They converse with one another, thereby never letting little things become big things. They talk early about the little hurts with little fear of offending. In this way, when the pressure is on the tea kettle and it builds up, let the whistle go off. There is no explosion or bitter feelings. It is so much better to let a little steam off before the top blows off the pressure cooker. They are willing to apologize, to ask forgiveness, and if they've hurt one another, they express their love for one another and become closer. To one another. Remember, as John said, there is no fear in love. They lift and strengthen one another. If you will live by these observations we have just discussed, it will strengthen your relationship in marriage and allow you to be faithful to your covenants. Might I just say what a good friend is? two things. One, a good companion, a good friend, will never have you choose between their way and the Lord's way. And second, if you have a true friend, it will be easier to live the laws, ordinances, and covenants we've discussed this day. That truly is a good friend and an eternal companion. You are preparing to meet the tests of mortal life. 
we voluntarily came from the presence of God the Father to this mortal probation with agency, knowing we would have opposition in all things. Our objective is to take upon us the whole armor of God and withstand the fiery darts of the adversary with our sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, and endure to the end and be worthy to stand and live in the presence of God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ for all eternity to achieve what is called eternal life. I give you my testimony that God lives, that Jesus is the Christ, and that Joseph Smith, the prophet of our dispensation, restored the priesthood blessings that allow us to partake of temple blessings, which we have discussed. Living in the last dispensation of the fullness of time is an incredible time to be on earth. May the Lord's blessings be with you, that you may find that special eternal companion, remaining worthy until that day may come, because the promise has been given that in this life or the next, blessings will come to those who remain true and faithful to the laws, ordinances, and covenants we've discussed this day. I ask the blessings of the Lord to be with you in all that you do and all that you say and in those who you love and care for. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen. You've been listening to the Come Follow Me podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.